You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red, Nottingham Forest podcast, Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, and we're here to discuss the first bump in the road for Steve Cooper as Nottingham Forest head coach after a surprising 4 0 home defeat at the hands of Fulham to win that fine winning run. And here to do it with us, first of all, is the chief football writer for the I newspaper and Forest fan in Daniel Story. Dan, good afternoon. You well? Yes, fine, thank you. Other than other than yesterday, fine. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it had been going so well. Um, and uh, also on the podcast today, it seems to show, is Reds fan Mikey Cooper. Mikey, you well? I'm good. I'm good, Matt. How are you, mate? Yes, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, uh, Dan, every time you come on, it's <laughs> gloom and gloom. <laughs> I, I text you in the week and said, do you fancy coming on? Uh, is something good to talk about, uh, and then this happens. So hopefully you're not the curse, and hopefully I'm not the curse. I was there yesterday with my son for his first game. But uh, did you see this coming at all? Was it a bit of a shock when you were checking the score on Sunday? I think Fulham are one of the three very good teams in the league, potentially. So I I thought we'd lose. Um, uh, I didn't think it would be 4-0. I didn't think we'd, we'd... create problems for ourselves in, in quite the way we did um it, it is a bump in the road i don't i think to an extent the results so far have been um probably better than the performances i mean obviously they wriggled out of a hole at barnsley and and even birmingham where they won three nil you know birmingham hit the post twice maybe even three times so i think there's a sense that this is probably a kind of evening out of that kind of football karma uh and you know, Cooper has, has, has always been a manager who said, look, one bad defeat is not going to start defining us. We'll, we'll we'll pick up and move on. And that was, I think, pretty much where he was at yesterday. Mikey, you were there. Obviously, I was there. As I said, took my son to his first game, hoped high, delayed until Houston had gone. And obviously, it all went terribly wrong. But Mikey, we'll let you uh, have your say on what you thought of it overall and the specifics. I mean, uh, I, I said, I thought I was saying this to Dan before we started, I thought Forrest played quite well apart from the four goals, which is a bit of a, a car crash way of looking at a game because you can't see four goals and win anything like that. But what did you make of it, Mikey? Such a strange game, wasn't it? I think, um, trying to wrap my brains, did Samba even make a save? I'm, I'm not too sure he did. They they were so clinical when they got in front of goal. Um Whereas I guess if you compare it with with us, we missed a couple of chances. Certainly, the grab and one in the second half. It was such a weird game because I, I was sort of thinking on the way home. It's certainly not a four 0 What scoreline would have been more reflective with what I've just seen on the pitch? And I was thinking maybe a two 0 or a two one, something like that. But to come away with four 0 defeat is a bit hard to take, really. Um, but I did take a lot of positives from it. I think just before I go into a couple of them. I think you've got to remember that the level of opposition we were playing for Fulham was, you know, I, I, I do think they've got the best squad in the league. Um, their player in midfield is it's Seri, the one they got from France a couple of years ago. He is absolutely a different level, that lad. It's unbelievable. You know, they've got Mitrovic up front. He's got a one-in-two goal record for his country, you know, and, and for Fulham. He scored over 60, 70 goals for for Fulham in, in, what, three or four seasons, just a different level. And, you know, if you if you add that to, to people like, you know, the foils around them, like Kearney and Bobby Reed and Robinson, that fullback who's absolutely rapid, that was a level of, of opposition we were up against yesterday. And it was always going to be difficult. 
And so to go away having lost 4-0 feels really, really harsh. But then, you know, you look back on it and again, you know, did Samba make a save? They were incredibly clin- clinical. A lot of things dropped their way. We made a couple of mistakes, real big mistakes that led directly to goals. And I think it was just, sounds a bit of a cliche, but I think it was just one of them afternoons you have to just sort of chalk off, dust yourselves down, get back to doing what what we know we can do and what we've proved in the last month that we can do really, really well. Just one of them afternoons, Matt. When you, you watch a lot of Premier League football, uh, Dan, more than I do now, especially in person, I mean, these teams that have come down, you know, Fulham, Albion, Sheffield United aren't doing so well. But, I mean, is the golf just, is it that vast, do you think? Because Fulham struggle repeatedly in the Premier League. And then, I mean, they had Mitrovic, Robinson, Seri, as Mikey says, uh, and Harry Wilson all looked way above the Premier, uh, the Championship, but maybe not quite Premier League class. I mean, is it a, it's destined to be like this, you think? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, firstly, you've got... You, you know, you've got being in the Premier League, which affords you, um, you know, 80, 90 million in, in broadcasting revenues and prize money. And then you've got the the parachute payments whereby you get 55% of the, the, the kind of um, the kind of equal merit fee, which works out about 40 million a season for your first season in the championship. And what that what that's meant to do is incentivize spending in the Premier League. What it actually ends up doing. Um, inevitably, is is allowing clubs to to hold on to players in the championship. We saw that with with Norwich last season with Buendia and and Max Ahrens, uh, and I think we're seeing it with with Fulham. You know, you look at someone like Harry Wilson, who I don't, you know, wasn't even necessarily one of their best players yesterday, but he he, he cost twelve million. That's kind of twenty percent of what all championship clubs spent on on play on transfer fees this summer. And he's a, you know, he's a he's a tidy central midfielder, but I don't think he's in Fulham's top three players um so yeah i think this is that's the reality you look at that current top three they're all clubs bournemouth second season of, of parachute payments which is about 34 million and the other two are uh, you know as you say a, a parachute payment teams and it's incredibly hard to cope with uh brentford showed a way that, that the best way is to build something sustainable and long term that takes a long time to achieve and takes patience and I, I think that's probably Steve Cooper's ideal as well, to build something that will take time. But it's not going to be a quick fix to compete with these teams because the financial inequalities are, are pretty vast. Uh, what would you do with FFP? It's a, kind of a no-win situation, isn't it? If you get rid of it, you, do you risk teams going under potentially or the flood of uh, championship talent back into the Premier League straight away? I mean... How would you go about fixing it? Yeah, I mean, I think without getting too doom and gloom, I think, uh, you know, my end conclusion is that the system's pretty broken in that um, the champion, because of the, the the financial rewards of the Premier League, there is a, a clear motivation for owners who can do it to overspend their way to try and get there and reach that kind of financial promised land. And, and we've seen clubs pretty near geographically to Forest suffer from exactly that. And, you know, there are arguments that at times under... The Waz and maybe even under Marinakis now, if the owner suddenly decides he wants to leave tomorrow, then our clubs are in pretty difficult positions. Um, so I think FFP is there as a protector. I don't, I don't think it's perfect by any means. Um, but I think if you if you removed it and created, you know, effectively created a wild west, then you are putting clubs at, at more at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, Mikey, a, a few people who left the ground yesterday, and I wouldn't agree with this particularly, but they would point point to the ref. For having an absolute stinker and he did have an absolute stinker but I thought it was against both teams and it was a genuinely laughable decisions 
Cooper was very critical of the ref afterwards and felt it was a factor in the first goal. I mean, was the ref that bad? Is he as bad as you've seen this season? Uh, probably this season, yeah. Um, I was the same as you, Matt. I was laughing at some of them. I think there was one in the second half where one of Fulham's players got chopped down. And he booked um, Wilson, yeah. And he did. Which oh, I, I literally laughed at that, yeah. Yeah, that was just really funny. Um, I think for the first goal, I see that every single game I watch where defenders just stand and they block. They do it in all sports, do it in American football, call it setting up a screen, don't they? They just block and they act as if, oh dear, somebody's just ran into me. And that's I think that's what Adoy did. Worrell tried to track the runner. Adore just sort of stood in his way, acted all up, somebody just ran into me. But it happens every single game. And it, that was really disappointing because to try and get something out of that game yesterday, we needed to not make those silly mistakes and need to be on it from, from sort of minute one. And, you know, after sort of 10 minutes, we we're already 1-0 down because of that. And then obviously the second goal where people are bumping into each other, you know, you're not going to compete with, or sorry, you're not going to take something out of a game uh, against a team with, uh, you know, the level of Fulham if you're going to make those sort of mistakes. So I think in going back to your question, Matt, the ref was rubbish, for want of a better phrase. But I don't think he was the reason that Forrest lost that game. I think he was one of the reasons where, that sort of added up to almost like a, a perfect storm where everything sort of went against us. You know, grab and miss is that great chance. Literally a couple of minutes later, we're bumping into each other and literally just tapping it in to make it 2-0. Um so, yeah, not one of the best displays I've seen. I think Cooper mentioned that he was a late replacement, wasn't he? I think the ref. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure. I guess it's, you know, I think it's it's probably one of those managerial tricks that some managers do. You know, everybody knows the ref wasn't great. So let's sort of point the conversation in that kind of direction um, whilst we regroup with the players and get back on track, hopefully, for, for Friday at QPR. But no, I don't think the ref was the main reason why we lost. I think we conspired to do that ourselves. But like I said before, you know, Fulham are, you know, levels above some of their players, certainly in this league. And I don't think it should detract us from what we're trying to do, and what Cooper's trying to do. And I think that's the important thing. And hopefully if we chat again in you know, a month, two months or whatever, we'll look back on this and say, yep, one of those days. But, you know, they stuck to the plan. They came back on Friday against QPR. I think, I think that's the next game, isn't it? Yeah. Um and, you know, put things right and put it behind them because every team is going to lose games in this division. You know, make make no mistake about it. Uh, live on Facebook, as we often are, just to prove it, uh, a comment from Richard saying we'll go again on Friday. Um, so do keep dropping your comments in and we'll put some up. Um, where are Forrest then, uh, Dan? I suppose it looked so doom and gloom a few weeks ago under Hewton. They beat some... Quite inviting teams, you know, everything that be in the B, they basically beat in the championship, Barnsley, Blackpool, Bristol City. What are Forest do you do you think right now and where can they get to by the end of the season potentially? Well, the championship is is incredibly bunched up. So Steve Cooper will will be stressing to to the players and I think has probably been stressing to the media as well that there's there's very little point putting any upper ceiling on on Forest's achievements this season. I don't think they're going to finish in the top six, but he would be stupid to tell anyone that because why would he after a, after a good run until until Sunday? Uh, but but as you say, I mean, th- three or four weeks ago, I was far more worried about getting relegated than f- even finishing in the top half, never mind the top six. So I think it's another one of those 
seasons of which we've had so many, which is it's a rebuilding year, it's a consolidation year, it's a trying to put the short-termism and the panic and the slumps behind us and, and trying to focus forward. And, you know, Steve Cooper wasn't wasn't universally popular at, at Swansea, but he, he certainly um, was able to kind of keep minds focused on a, a steady path forward. And the football wasn't always beautiful. It wasn't always the, you know, invert commas, Swansea way, but he, he saw a route to making Swansea hard to beat and making them a top six club in the championship with... I think a lesser squad than most of the teams around them. So he will be. I, I, I don't know if Forest have a better squad now than Swansea had then, but I don't think there's there's much in it. So optimistically, I'm saying kind of upper mid table. I think it would be completely fair, and and more importantly than that, would allow us to go into the summer, you know, hoping that the next season is the one where they actually keep a manager for a full season. Does it feel to you like a slightly different rebuilding job? Because obviously. When Hewton came in, it was to arrest the slide, and it was for Cooper as well. But it's been a lot more enjoyable, at least, you know, which is what you want as a fan when you go through the gates. And Cooper does have this propensity to develop young talent. So even if it's going to be a slightly rocky road, at least we might enjoy this one, do you think? Yeah, I do. I think, um, you know, we've got, he's very fortunate, and I, I don't know if it factored in him taking the job, but he's very fortunate that he's got two incredibly exciting young English attacking players who, um, for various reasons, weren't quite seeing the football that they, they and in one case, their parents believe they deserved at Forest. Uh, and, you know, th- they are, they have been the two of the brightest lights of, of, of Cooper's very short reign. Um, he will have things in mind to do. I think he'll probably want another centre forward next summer um, because Graben is not getting any younger, but there are the tools there for a, a Steve Cooper style side, which is exciting attacking talent to play on a counter-attack if we want to. Um, you know, a, a, a good defensive options that he'll need to make a lot more solid than they were at times on Sunday. Uh, probably a, a slightly more defensive midfielder to partner with Ryan Yates. He, it's quite hard to see, you know, James Garner is the natural choice, I suppose, in terms of that passing midfielder. But I don't know if, if, if he's quite Cooper's go-to guy yet. Uh, obviously brought in by a different manager but so there's there's a question there but you know he's only been in the job five minutes and it already feels like there's a little bit more of an identity there and certainly it feels to me you know without wanting to damn Chris Hewton too much I've seen more in a few weeks of Steve Cooper of, of an actual kind of an identity a plan a, a kind of a hope of of this is the way we want to play and this is how we want to get results than I ever did under Hewton. I, I suppose Brian and Jada might be the the option mm. in the end because uh, Colback didn't quite do it yesterday. He looked like he was a little bit overrun, just the pace of the game, and Garner doesn't seem there for form. Uh, let's have a Ryan Yates debate, Mikey. Was was Yates Forest's best midfielder? Was Yates well, was Yates Forest's best player yesterday? I mean, I thought he might have been. Um, maybe. Did he give away the penalty, Matt, or did I? Oh, the game was gone by then. But yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> let's forget that. Yeah, he did jump on someone's back and haul them down. Yeah, that's true. Uh, no, we did all right. I, you know, we, there were plenty of players that, that maybe weren't up the, to the level that they have been recently. Um, Ryan Yates is Ryan Yates. So he'll give you that five, six, seven out of ten every single game. He might not get up to the eight or nines, and he, he might not be as bad as a lot of people think he is. But he's quite solid and he's dependable. And I guess that's probably why he, he starts a lot of games. Um, but I think I think Dan's right got to try and find the right mix around him um 
And I guess it probably depends on what formation we want to play sort of going forward. I think if we're going to stick to that three at the back with those two energetic win-backs of, of, of Lowe and Spence, um, with the two in behind the one up front, so whether that's Sink and Agle and Johnson or Lolly and Mighton, it only leaves space for those two in midfield. Um, so you probably do want somebody that's either incredibly energetic, box to box, or just sits there and kind of covers, which I guess what is what kind of callback did maybe a few years ago. I don't know enough about is it a Jada, the, the Paraguayan lad? I'll be honest, I've not I've not seen him play for Paraguay. He could be the answer. I guess there's only one way to find out. Um, but I think that is a key makeup because if you look at yesterday's game, um, and I know again we're playing a very good team in this division, but they kind of controlled that midfield with Seri in there and, and Kearney um, and uh, Bobby Reed sort of dropping a bit deeper, and, and we struggled to get hold of the ball a lot of, a lot of the time. So I think that, that that's kind of a crucial thing for me. But I guess Friday's team selection will be interesting. I'd like for us to sort of chalk this one off, forget about it, it happened, and then just go back to what we've been doing before. So for me personally, I'd start Garner alongside Yates. Um, I think he's better on the ball than Colback. And I think the way for young players to get out of a slump is, is just to show a bit of faith in them, get them on the pitch, get them playing. Um, and I think he proved a lot last season that he's he can be a very, very good player, certainly at this level. So I guess until we know a little bit more about Ajada, until he's maybe settled in a little bit more, given a few sub-appearances maybe, he might hit the ground running, he might be absolutely brilliant, and we're all saying, great, you know, he has to start. He's, you know, it's Ajada and one more, rather than perhaps Yates and one more. Um, yeah, but, but that's a... That is, a, 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 I guess, a cause of concern and maybe one they might look at in January at doing something. I know you mentioned Matt, uh, a striker grabbing Sinders last year of his contract. Um, I'm not sure about Taylor, to be honest, and that's kind of our only options. So I guess the spine of the team, um, central midfielder and, and up top, I think is probably something they'll look at in January. Yep. What's your take on Lyle Taylor, Dan? Is, is he? Everyone has this opinion whether he's a 20-goal man. Uh, the, the consensus was definitely no. <laughs> and then he did well against Bristol City and answered a few critics. I mean, uh, can Forrest hit the heights this season with just those two or do they realistically need a third guy in January? I think, I mean, I think they need a third if they're going to hit the heights. I, I think that, that depending on where we are in January, Steve Cooper might well think, you know, this club has had enough turnover recently. So why don't we just, you know, we probably aren't going up this season, but that, wasn't really the aim when I took over anyway so why don't we just sit on it and you know he might think that in the summer he can get better it's kind of more of a long-term option than a make-do option um I think Lartel is a a maddening one in that to be honest I think he would probably be good if he started every week I think he's a player who you know I know he, he comes off the bench and scores occasionally but I think he needs to feel important I think that's his personality he's not shy I think he needs to feel like he's the kind of main man and I don't think yeah, and I don't, but I don't think he's good enough to to do that at Forest. Uh, you know, Graben is <laughs> sometimes equally maddening in terms of you know he scores chances you don't think he's going to score, and then he, he misses the ones you you think he should score. But I think overall he's a he's a better striker than Lyle Taylor, and therefore when both are fit, he starts. And I think that's probably hard for Taylor, but I don't think we've really seen enough to to warrant any you know huge faith in in starting Taylor more than one or two games in a row. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of people asking about Xander Silva, if he's injured or uh, out of favour. I think to my knowledge, he's out of favour. I've not heard anything. He, he came on against Middlesbrough and it wasn't overly appealing, but nothing was overly appealing against that middle, in that Middlesbrough game, as I recall. Um, Mike asks about Rian Brewster, which was a name I was going to throw out. It feels very predictable, uh, given his Cooper links of how well he did. For Swansea, and it's going as a bit of a Sheffield United nightmare. Mikey, would you would you like that, or do you think it's probably be another loan? And Forest have got a lot of players on loan. Is do you have to draw the line and, and try and stick with what you've got, or, or bring in a permanent signing? Um, I really like Brewster in particular. I'll be honest with you. So um, every time I've seen him play, I know he struggled at Sheffield since his move, and he spent a hell of a lot of money on him, didn't he? Was it like twenty million pounds or something, mm. which, is, mm. which is a lot for somebody at that age to throw then into a Premier League sort of survival bid, which is kind of what they had uh, when they went down. But I really like him. He kind of seems like the player that could be rejuvenated with a move. You look at Max Lowe that's come from Sheffield. Um, again, same team. He's come across. He's been absolutely brilliant, Max Lowe. I'll be honest with you. I, I was a bit umming and ahhing when I'd heard that we'd, we'd bought him in. But he's been brilliant, as has Jed Spence on the other side. But I think somebody like Brewster may relish a move t- to Forest because I don't, I don't think we're going to go down now. I don't think we're good enough to to push at this moment in time. So I think I think Dan's right. I think we're going to be sort of securing that middle of the table spot, um, and that might appeal to somebody like Brewster to say, "Come in, Graham's in the last year of his contract. Come and play up for him." Um, You'll get the game time. There's no pressure on relegation. There's no expectation, see, uh, expectation, sorry, of um, of, a, of, a, of a playoff push maybe at this stage. So just come in and play some football because I, I don't think he's he's playing at Sheffield at all. Is he? I, I didn't see their team yesterday, but I'd be surprised if he started. No, they got... played. I think they played Moose, didn't they? Who, who scored twice and they've got. But they've, they've got options that it, it does already feel like Sheffield United have kind of semi sort of psychologically cut their losses on Brewster already, doesn't it? Which means, it as you say, that's exactly the type of player that clubs look to loan out. Mm. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, I, I think if it's an option that's available and suits all parties, I'd love to see him in there because I think there's a serious player. I think he's, he's just taking a bit of a backward turn in his career. You know, it doesn't work at every club for every player. But I'd love to see him at Forest. He's young, quick, powerful, athletic, scores goals. Um, it's proven in the past he can score goals. I think he'd be a great addition if we could look at getting somebody like that. Absolutely. If Forest become this kind of uh, house for waifs and strays, uh, like Max Lowe couldn't get a game, um, uh, Jed Spence didn't seem slightly like Neil Warnock very much. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first player. I mean, is that that's no bad thing, is it? Dan? Forest yeah. fans have a perception that the club should be flying and, you know, be as they were 20, 30 years ago, which they're not going to be. But this might be a good way to go, mightn't it, to rebuild young players? Yeah, it is. And then, you know, people, people. it seems a silly thing to say, but people underestimate how good every footballer is at this level. You know, they have not got to where they are. They've not got the moves to the clubs they've been at because they're not good enough to play there. For whatever reason, whether it's, you know, whether it's injury, whether it's confidence, uh, and it's usually confidence, um, things have gone awry, but a, a move can transform that so quickly. And especially if you, you know, there's often a thing with loan signings at Forest that, that some of them just kind of get lost in the ether and we never really see them. But the fact he already has a connection with Steve Cooper, 
is a big thing. The fact that Steve Cooper has a record in youth football is is a big thing because while he's doing a good job, it makes Forest more attractive because you know I, I've I've heard from from agents and and even players in the past that. Forrest hasn't been always been an attractive option. So the reason we've ended up with Waste and Strays is that we've had to kind of sign what we could or who was prepared to join rather than what we really, really wanted. Um, someone like Brewster is is someone we would really, really want, not someone you'd sign because, you know, it felt a little bit kind of bargain bin dash at the end of a transfer window. Uh, question for Mikey, because it's from your wife. <laughs> look, at him, look at his face sink there. It could have been worse that I think <laughs> it could have been it could have been a lot worse it's the football question it's alright <laughs> yeah why are they, what are all these phone numbers on your phone Mikey no it's about Lyle Taylor because uh, he knows he knows you're a big fan of his uh, was it worth a shout bringing um, Taylor on then Mikey let's make it a serious question and you know, he went with Lolly Mighton and uh, Garner in the end came on uh, yeah well I, I had this conversation pre game uh, with a couple of people around if a striker had come off the bench at any other club and scored two goals he would probably start the next game or there'd be a clamour to start him and, and I understand there was from certain people but he was always going to go back to Graben and I agree with what Dan said earlier I think Graben is the better technical striker the fact he didn't have a very good game yesterday is <laughs> here and there but um, I was expecting Taylor to come on I'll, I'll be honest with you I was um, but I think the way the game panned out and the shape that it took and you know the three goals in what 15 20 minutes just killed the game so I, I think if it was a one nil maybe even a two nil Taylor might have got 20 minutes 25 minutes something like that but I think um you know Lolly and Mighton have been chomping at the bit um Zinkenagel didn't have his best game Johnson was kind of in and out so it kind of made sense to put them on be interesting to see if he um if Taylor features in at QPR if I'm honest with you, um, I, I suspect he, he probably will do. I think, um, you know, those two goals will probably improve his confidence. And I think he is a half decent bench option. But I think if I'm being brutally honest, I think it's an area we need to look at in January. Like I said, Graben's in the last year of his, of his contract. I'd be very surprised if he stays. Um, so in essence, we may be looking for two, maybe even three new centre forwards. Uh, in, in January. So to answer your question, Matt, now I wouldn't have started him personally, but I, I may have bought him on if the game situation kind of called for um, somebody up top for 10, 15 minutes. That's probably the nicest way I can put it. Yeah, I think he might start QPR and I think Zinkenagel might be due arrest for Mighton as well. It wasn't wasn't his best game. Um, what's Brennan Johnson's ceiling, do you think, Dan, having seen enough of him now to probably formulate an opinion? How, how far can he go? Hopefully at Forest, but but quite possibly somewhere else. Yeah, it's difficult because that, you know, we talked about earlier, that gulf between the Premier League and Championship doesn't exist for players as much as it does for for clubs in general. You know, we've seen players making that leap and doing brilliantly in the Premier League, but it's often those wide players, um, creative, wide, fast players who... Uh, who can struggle? You know, the the automatic example I think of is someone like Grady Diangana, who tore up the championship at West Brom uh, a couple of seasons ago, got that move, and just you know just didn't get enough time or wasn't given enough space in the Premier League to do his thing. And I think Johnson probably comes into that category of it's not that he 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 can only flourish when a mistake is made, but he he pounces on those mistakes. He and I don't just mean kind of 
defensive rickets giving him the ball. I mean, spotting a, def- a defender not spotting his movement and suddenly he's in space and he's away. That's when he's at his best. And you get that a lot less in the Premier League. Um, now he, he, you know, he's already playing and played international football. So, and he's still young. So there's there's plenty of, of time to go. He's he's clearly got a, you know, a dad who who knows the game and you know, there's no danger of him losing his head or getting a bit carried away. But, you know, even at Forest, we've seen someone like Oli Burke, who's, uh, you know, looked the business at a young age and then goes into a top flight and just struggles to kind of not just perform, but even to kind of get on the ball and find some space and just kind of breathe a little bit in that league. So I think his his next move, unless Forest get in the Premier League, probably is a top flight move, but I don't think he... Yeah, I think he has to pick that move carefully if he is to leave because he he's a kid that needs regular football. He knows that, you know, David was demanding he get that at Forest and rightly so, I think. But there's no point in them moving to another Premier League club where you're not getting any minutes. Um, since we're playing the hits today, let's keep going and take this question from Mike and get your opinion on it. Uh, João Carvalho, the most discussed player I can think of for a long time doesn't seem to fit the Cooper kind of way of playing with pace and vibrancy and attack around a central striker. I mean, uh, is this finally the end? Is probably a good question. Mikey, I'll let you go first. Yeah, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think Carvalho's shown flashes, hasn't he, over his you know, spells with Forrest. I call him spells because he's been out on loan, hasn't he? Um to, to, to make people think that there is a player in there, and I'm sure there is, you know, uh, started off really well under, I think it was Karanka, who bought yeah. him in, looked fantastic in those opening few games, sort of died off, had a bit of a burst again over Christmas. I remember going to Middlesbrough away, he was fantastic, ran the game there, wonderful. Then sort of dropped out the, the pecking order. Um, Lamucci barely played him, didn't he? Obviously went on loan, has come back, you know, Cooper said the right things about, you know, looks, looks decent in training, integrated him on the bench, but I don't think he's had a kick, has he, for, for that? And then if somebody is getting on the bench who, um, granted, I understand slightly different position, so he may want a, a different makeup of his bench for, for yesterday's game, and it'll be interesting to see the next couple of games where the Carvalho does feature. But my gut tells me that he probably won't. So again, January... Um, you may, I think you may see some movement on core value. I'm not sure unless we have to perhaps sell Brennan or Martin goes or Lolly or somebody like that gets injured and then an opportunity presents itself where Jao can stake a claim for, for a first team role. I just think at this moment in time, he's just dropping down and down that pecking order and I, I just can't see him working his way in, if I'm honest. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for him. He seems a good guy. Uh, I only interviewed him once, but he sounded like he seemed like a nice bloke, and no one seems to say a bad word about him. But I suppose, do you think he has to be a team where is is built around him? Do you think, Dan? And not many championship managers are going to do that when their jobs are on the line virtually every week, aren't they? No, that's right. And I mean, he, he you know, he's he's now played under or been at Forest when under five different managers, and other than Karanka early on, none of them have really given him a, a go and they all seem to say you know he, he tries hard in training he works hard in training he looks good in training but the reality is is that yeah he's a luxury player in a league in which the luxury players that stand out are generally standing out because they are immensely talented and it's clear that Zhao has has talent but it also is clear that he's not necessarily the most talented player at Forest and I think you need to be if you're going to be seen as a either as a number 10 which 
you know, there aren't many of those in the championship anyway, or as a luxury attacking midfielder, which is, is probably more his bag. And yeah, I just don't think it was one of those that it would have been, it could easily have worked really well. And I don't, you know, I don't blame him and I don't necessarily even blame the club, but he's just kind of wrong man, wrong time under five different managers at a time when Forrest were pretty much always been battling for results rather than, you know, free flowing, entertaining football. It's just going back to yesterday's game. There was a bugbear or a point of contention of yours, Mikey, about the end. I stayed till the end because I always try to, but you know, you want you wanting my boy and my little girl to see the end and clap the team off. And you didn't like them getting clapped off, did you? They got quite a raucous applause for a four nil defeat. I didn't mind it on the assumption that it was clapping for previous wins at Bristol City and Barnsley, and maybe those fans hadn't seen them. But you, you had more of a gripe with it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is actually. <laughs> so I need to. I had to think about this. So, when you lose a, a football game, it's never nice, and you have that raw emotion straight away post game. So, I, I, being honest, there was a little bit of me that didn't like losing four 0 and you know why we pulled them off. But I've had time to reflect, and I think I'm still in in sort of two minds. I think the thing that kind of slightly got my goat a little bit is in previous years and I, I hope to sort of 10 20 years ago even when we're getting stuffed 8-1 with Man U and 4-0 against Scunthorpe and everything like that you're always going to get people that clap at the end and appreciate the hard work and effort and, and that's that's absolutely fine um but if you were a uh, a fan tuning in yesterday in injury time looking at that crowd you wouldn't know what team was 4-0 because you just wouldn't, because the Fulham fans were really silent most of the game, if I'm honest. And the Forest fans, there was a party in two of the stands. So that irritated me a little bit because we have just lost 4-0 at home. So yes, there's a plan. And I know I'm contradicting myself from earlier when I said, get chalk it off. I know I'm contradicting myself, stick back to the plan. And I, I still believe that. But I think it's more of a sad indictment at how bad things were in the last 18 months that any sort of resemblance of attacking football or a plan to how to win a football game gets a standing ovation from 20,000 people that were left and you know from one like I said on one hand I, I absolutely get it and I did clap a little bit but then it just seemed to go on and on and on and they were singing I'm like we've just got beat 4-0 <laughs> so I know this is probably not going to go down very well with people watching and listening but I just think it's a it's just an indictment of maybe where we are as a football club right now that even a stuffing at home gets a round of applause because we tried to attack. And that was that was my only gripe about it. And I still still can't get it right in my head. I don't know what you think, Dan. Do, am I being a bit too harsh? Yeah, I, I, I mean I get I mean I don't know why they were clapping if it was for the, the previous I think there's I think uh, uh, this is probably me reading too much into it kind of psychologically, but I think there is a sense sometimes with Forest supporters that it so rarely goes right. That when you have a few wins in a row and something goes wrong, you kind of you almost want to just kind of pretend it hasn't happened because you're worried that one defeat will suddenly spell a slump of six defeats on the bounce and we're back in relegation trouble and everyone's moaning and like, oh, do we need another new manager this season? It, it, it seems to happen so quickly at Forest those slumps from kind of semi comfort to absolute emergency that I wonder if it was just a kind of. Let's try and just clap everyone and pretend this has just finished 1-1 and we've got one extra point and nothing's going wrong and we're not going to go on a run of five defeats on the bounce. But, I, I mean, we'll see what happens at QPR, obviously. 
But I mean, the the fixtures are quite tricky. November's a bit of a horror month off mm. the top of my head. I know they've got Sheffield United, Preston. Um, I should have remembered this. Is it Blackburn? Obviously QPR. I mean, I said just quickly for each of you, I know I asked this before, but are you are you quietly confident that they'll be fine and comfortably mid table come Christmas still? Yeah, I, I think I think so. I think I mean I, I think the wins we've achieved have been with a comfort by the look of the scoreline. Um, that were not reflected necessarily in the course of the game. I think that the same is true of the defeat yesterday. I think we've kind of generally we've sort of lurched from one thing to the other, and eventually it will kind of settle somewhere down in the middle. And I think we'll, you know, I think we'll, Cooper's teams have been able to go on good runs, but generally they're pretty gritty. Uh, and I think that's what we'll be. I think we'll, he'll try and make us hard to beat. He'll try and make sure we're between ninth and. 14th around Christmas time and I think he'll be probably be reasonably happy if we stay there for the rest of the season um, because I, I, you know the forest big danger is that you win a few games in a row and everyone thinks that it's the promotion push and we're serious about promotion are you and all that kind of guff so if they if they do want to make a push I think that's going to be next season so anything outside the bottom seven or eight is fine for me Is that fine for you Mikey? Is that yeah. fine for the fans? I mean, uh, I, uh, fans are funny. Are they? Fickle is a, the cliche, but is a comfortable mid-table season gonna gonna wash with the fans? Do you think? I think so. I, I think it, it, the last eighteen months or so has been tough, judging yeah, just in the world and also you know going down to the city ground and watching some of that drops that's been served up. And I think now that people see a plan, it's probably goes back to my my early point just then. It's probably people appreciate that, and I think. You know, the realists among us know that unless you go on a sort of Crystal Palace run that they did 20 years ago or, you know, Sunderland when Roy Keane took over and they shot at the table, that can happen, but it's few and far between. And I think I think people now can see what Forrest are trying to do. I love the back five. I've never really been a fan of wing-backs until I kind of saw it from my own team. And I think it suits the players we've got now. And I guess one of the... One of my points is around when we go to a back four and I understand we chase the game, um, we look a bit dodgy, if I'm honest. I mean, we let him up two goals in 10 minutes going to a back four. And I guess a, a, a Barnsley away and and, um, and the game before that as well, when we're trying to push, we just don't look as solid. So I, I really want Steve to try and keep doing what we're doing, stick to the plan, you know, believe that we can get better every single game, which I'm sure we can be. Uh, which I'm sure we can do, sorry, um, and just keep that belief and just keep keep passing the ball, keep getting players forward. And I'm talking about four or five players in the box, not one or two, like we've seen previously. Um, and I think over the course of the next 30 games, you will win probably more games than you lose. And that will see us finish, I would think, same as Dan, comfortable mid-table, I'd say. And I, th- I think people would be happy with that as long as they can see... Uh, what we're trying to do in terms of how we're going to win a game played out on the pitch. And then obviously you transfer windows following that or strengthening key areas like we spoke about earlier. But yeah, mid-table's fine, that. I think Megson might have been one of the first play three at the back. That might be where your horrible memories come from when he was <laughs> Albion or something. But yeah. this is a different three at the back. Uh, last one on Forrest. Uh, well, not last one, but one of the last ones. Uh is Figueredo one of the back three long-term, Dan, or is it Mbeso when he's fit? So Figueredo, another player who divides opinion a little bit. Yeah, and I, I'm a, 
I'm on the negative side. I'm afraid. I I, just, I, I think there's too many lapses in concentration now. Um, I, it, it's not that he's a, a kind of walking mistake. That's completely unfair. But um, I, I just, in my head, I wince a little bit more when it's him rather than the someone else. But the the someone else isn't the ideal option. You know, I think so is is still learning and is has missed so much football and has not started so many games that it will take time to come in and once you have the shirt uh in something like a back three where your positioning and your concentration and your movement is you know of absolute paramount importance to it working then once you have the shirt you generally keep it so I wouldn't be surprised if if it stays in the team but it's another position where um given the change of manager has led to a change of shape it's something they might look in January I guess um, I think maybe just, just uh, maybe a kind of experienced central defender. You know, we've seen players like Gary Cahill get moves in in the championship. Something a defender who is aging but is used to playing in the back three would be good. Time to raid Sheffield United again, I suppose, in one of their their three man central defence. But yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised they looked at that in January because Cooper does like his team to be solid. But until then. Figs isn't my favourite, but I can see why you stick with him if he's a, kind of in the team that he possesses a shirt. I suppose they have got Rodrigo Ely, Eli. And the fact I don't know if it's Eli or Ely just kind of portrays he's another the fact one of those. I think every time I come on this podcast, we talk about players who kind of in three years' time you'd be asked to name Forest squad in this <laughs> season and you'd completely yes. forget about. And yeah. I think he's probably one of those. He might be the da- Jared to share. Uh, oh, what was the Greek player's name? Yes, something like that. Oh my word! Yeah. Well, let's hope he's not. Let's hope he gets fit and delivers the goods. Um, Bonus, slightly off-topic question because you were at Old Trafford, weren't you, Dan? I think I'm right in saying. Yes, I was yesterday. Yeah. If uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer had left uh, Man United at the time when Hewton left Forest, would you think he'd be a good Forest manager, or would you think no "No, thanks? I think no thanks. Uh, I think he's a, a pretty decent guy and he's well-meaning and I just don't think he's very good tactically as a football manager I think he's he's a kind of he was good as an interim and kind of geeing everyone up and it helps if you follow someone like Jose Mourinho in doing that but I don't think you know as you add more and more players exceptional players to it it, it seems to be getting worse and it, it kind of reassures me in that it and it's, it's got a link to Forest really in that it, it reassures me that you can buy all the players you want and kind of put all the players on the pitch you want, but they will still not become a team unless you have a manager that, or a coach that's capable of kind of knitting them together. And Forrest have seen that, and it's exactly the same with Solskjaer. You know, you can you can buy Ronaldo and Varane and Sancho, but if, if there isn't a system, if there isn't a clear identity for getting the best out of them, then it, it won't go well and you'll get found out. And um, yeah, that's, that's me linking Manchester United to Forrest for probably the first and last time in the recent past but yeah I think it stands up I don't think he will be there long I mean if he hadn't managed Cardiff already he would not be in the top 10 favourites for that job and he you know he did manage them badly and he won't be in the top 10 favourites now but he's just I think he's just a decent manager who's out of his depth and he did score those four goals against Forest, didn't he? Yeah, which we, yeah, he wouldn't be welcome here, would he? <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Um, right, I think we shall mostly leave it there for this week. Um, Dan, uh, congratulations on being the chief football writer of the eye. That's a bit mad. So, Thanks you, very much. Uh, yeah, you, 
not going too much inside journalism because people probably don't care. But to be the chief football writer for a national newspaper is pretty cool. Um, I think you're right that people don't care. I think that was <laughs> that was the salient bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you also have a book out, I believe. So I'll let you plug that as for generously coming on here. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, out last week is a it's a hundred England's hundred fiftieth year of of the men's senior team. So I've done a book with the FA about the history of the England men's national team and the women's senior team as well so yeah available from independent bookshops which is where from where you should buy it and less independent organizations which you can also buy it from yes there's many less independent organization cardboard boxes around me probably, as we speak <laughs> <laughs> mikey have you got anything to plug before i plug uh, a couple of bits no i was going to say is ollie doing the header for your book then dan I guess. Uh, no, I, we, we were meant to have Peter Shilton, but he, he pulled out because he also has a book out and he's worried about that being a conflict of interest. So it's Tony Adams who did the men forward and Farrah Williams, the women's. Oh, lovely. Good stuff. Do you interview? Have you interviewed Solskjaer? I wonder what, what kind of reception you get. With you, no, I, I, interestingly, I arrived at Old Trafford yesterday because I've been quite reasonably vocal in that it's my opinion and it's a fair enough opinion that he's not really up to it and I arrived at Old Trafford yesterday and said oh it's Daniel's story and they said yeah from the eye and I thought oh that's a bad sign that you know that that means I'm in trouble so no I wouldn't expect any interviews from anyone at Manchester United at the moment I don't think. Oh well we have to say how it is or how we think it is Um, right to plugs for me Uh, I was going to hold up a Garibaldi red mug but it can't find it in the dishwasher. So um, there is there, there are three boxes of Garibaldi red mugs behind me, which I'm going to get signed uh, soon, uh, a special podcast we're doing for our 100th episode. So we'll give those away uh, to lucky winners. And also out today is a new uh, Garibaldi red newsletter, uh, which I've written this week, uh, 500 words of musings about the game yesterday and the horrors of taking your child to his first game that going disastrously wrong. Uh, so it'll be me uh, intermittently. Mikey, you can write a few. Yeah, absolutely. More than happy to. I might rope you in, Daniel. Now I've got you live on air and you can't <laughs> yeah, say, can't no. say no. can't say no, can I? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe once or twice a year from Dan as well. But um, if you sign, have already signed up to our Forest newsletter, which I to have, you'll get that anyway. But I'll drop the link in here to sign up to the Garibaldi Red one and the Forest one if you haven't got it. So do give that a go. And always do give us a good rating and review on iTunes or YouTube and subscribe because that really helps. Right, uh, we'll leave it there for this week, although we'll be back on Friday after the QPR game with a short podcast to review that. Mikey, I might ask you about that if you don't mind. (laughs) But uh, thanks for joining us today, Mikey. Hope you enjoyed that. You can unmute yourself again and say yes. I did indeed, Matt. Thank you very much, mate. And Dan, thanks for coming on as ever. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. And we shall see everyone soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.